the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Greetings and welcome to this episode of AV Nation TV's Connected. I'm your host, David Danto, and um, we have an interesting show here today because I'm going to take uh, uh, all of my guests and ask them to pull out their crystal balls. It's always my favorite thing to talk about with everybody. Um, we, um, we, we're sunsetting the pandemic. I don't want to say that it's over, but you know, as we're recording this, I'm very happy with where things are in the, in the U.S. I'm very happy you know, things in, in, in other parts of the world are still sl- uh, not as far ahead, but we're kind of hoping they're going to get there at some point. And, and, you know, UC has been, I don't want to call it one of the heroes because there were so many real heroes in terms of first responders um, and healthcare providers and, and the amazing speed with which we had vaccines. There's all kinds of tremendous value in, in all this, but um, I, w- I would like to um, talk about how UC came through and allowed businesses to continue and to communicate and to stay in business as we were going. Now that we're going to kind of go back to offices, whatever offices will look like or, or, or go back to a normal, what's the next normal going to look like for unified communications? It's really interesting. And uh, um, I have a whole bunch of guests here that I would like to have introduce themselves and we'll kind of go through it one at a time. Uh, David, why don't you start this time? You introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Sure. I am David Mario Smith from Influent Analysis, and I cover, for the most part, digital workplace uh, technologies. Uh, so looking at anything, communication, collaboration, how that influences or impacts business processes, whether that be sales, marketing, or what have you. Terrific. Thank you. Blair, you're next on my list. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Blair Pleasant, President and Principal Analyst of Comfusion. Um, I'm an independent analyst and also co-founder of VC Strategies, and I cover unified communications, collaboration, contact center, uh, everything that falls under the business communications realm. Terrific. Thanks for being here, Blair. Kevin, why don't you introduce yourself? You're new to our show this time. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Well, thanks for having me, David. My name is Kevin Keeler, and I'm the co-founder of Enable UC. Uh, We help organizations get the most out of predominantly the Microsoft ecosystem, um, which means dealing a lot with uh, Microsoft Teams, but also other pieces as they fit into that, and um, also help vendors navigate kind of the Microsoft ecosystem. Terrific. Thanks very much, Kevin. Tim, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you, David. Yeah, my name is Tim Banting. I'm practice leader here at Omdia. We look at all the technologies that uh, cover digital transformation. So enterprise mobility, unified communications and collaboration, customer engagement, customer journey. Terrific, Tim. And last but not least, uh, Erwin Lazar, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do over at Metrogy? Sure. Hi, I'm Erwin Lazar, President and Principal Analyst at Metrogy. We spend our time going out and gathering data from end-user organizations and trying to understand where they're spending their money, where they're, uh, what technologies they're focusing on, and what correlates, what are the actions that correlate with the successful implementation. Okay, so the first question, I guess, is having survived this pandemic like we all did, having gotten through it and experiencing, you know, um, um, uh, blurred backgrounds and virtual backgrounds and group chat meetings and and group text conversations, all the rest of it. Um, uh, how much of this stuff is going to stick around as we start to get into this new hybrid future? Who's who's got an opening thought on that? Anybody, jump in. Just let me know. Um, I can start. Uh, so I, I think as far as technology, um, you know, video is obviously, you know, here, you know, I I did my first um, telehealth call um, and I I did video with um, a retailer with help desks, you know, so 
there, there's no turning back. So I, I think right now it's going to be a matter of optimizing things and making video better. Um, and, and I find it really interesting that even friends of mine who aren't tech savvy, they all know how to use virtual backgrounds and filters. And, you know, it's just been, you know, like with my book group and, you know, different people using different video uh, backgrounds. Uh, virtual background. So that's definitely going to be here to stay. Uh, what I think might not be and maybe needs a little finessing is the new thing that we're seeing with the um, the overlay or what people are calling immersive, where you might see, you know, the, the speaker laid on top of uh, the, the slides. Because I, I was on a couple of calls this week and basically the speaker's head was blocking the slides. So it's a great concept, you know, so that you don't have to, you know, look back and forth between the slides and the presenter, but th that's going to need some work. But um, the filters, the background, um, the virtual backgrounds are definitely here. Um, background noise reduction is definitely going, going to be around and enhanced even more. In fact, um, this past week, uh, you know, so all, all the vendors have been talking about uh, background noise reduction, but now what we're seeing is even uh, the capability to get rid of background voices. So if you're, you know, on a call, uh, on a video, and then a couple people are talking behind you, the AI is going to know your voice from their voice, so it'll be able to block out those noises. Um, so I, I think the background noise is just going to, uh, reduction is just going to keep getting better and better. So the overlay stuff, maybe not so much, but certainly the virtual backgrounds and anything to um, reduce distraction is going to be around for a long time. Tim, you wanted to add to that? Sure. Um, yeah, virtual backgrounds, not everyone has the luxury of their own home office. So we've had to blur out, you know, people working from their bedrooms or from wherever they have to work uh, during this unfortunate circumstance. Background noise suppression, yeah. Fundamentally, video will stick around. Um, it was interesting, you know, pre-pandemic, very few people turned on video. They were they were sort of working away in the background and it was just audio only. Video seems to be here to stay, which is great. Um, one thing I have noticed though, is uh, we've got some very mature players in this market that realize they need to do some very basic changes to improve usability. Um, simple things like moving your own video feed to the top of the app to improve the interaction. So you're looking at eye level rather than looking down here. Um, so there's some real fundamental stuff that is still yet to be fixed. Um, and that varies by uh, different, different client, different solution. Uh, I find it really annoying because uh, there's no excuse for it. it. We shouldn't have to be faced with a global pandemic for some very, very basic stuff to be fixed. Um, thankfully, it's getting fixed. People, as they're being forced to use the, this, are, are making some fundamental changes. But um, all of this technology is great, but if it's not easy to use, then the ROI on which you made your buying decision will never get realized. People won't adopt it, and it will just um, it will just fall flat on its face. So, uh, yeah, some great new features, but let's fix some of the basic stuff as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, adding to what Tim and Blair said, you know, what I, I, I think it's we've been at a communications and collaboration buffet. So everybody's gone up. We've taken our first plate and we filled up stuff. We've tried things. We've tried video, a lot of people that hadn't tried it and, and different modalities and different tools. And, you know, really now I think we're going back up for the second time. And so we're going to just take the things that work for us and work for our organizations. And, and, and really, like, for example, on video, I think, yeah, so people filled their plate with video. And now many organizations are saying, okay, maybe let we've overdone it a bit, right? So I think they're putting limits on video, the no video Fridays or, or different types of things. So 
I, I, what I like is I think we've all experienced a whole bunch of tools that maybe we wouldn't otherwise have been forced to try. And that's given us a taste for things. And we're starting to hopefully now optimize. Um, certainly, you know, video is going to stay around. But, you know, I also think that, well, Blair, I think it's great that your friend group or the people that you deal with understand blur backgrounds and stuff. Um, as you know, because we're currently doing a survey around training and adoption, um, not people have not received enough training on these tools. So I think there's fantastic new devices. Let's teach people how to use them a little bit more. So, um, you know, go back to the buffet, but be smart about what you fill your plate with. <laughs> That's a great point. So I, I, I agree with what you guys said, but I'll probably uh, add one more thing too, which is what we, I guess, what we're exposed to was the security issues that happened with, with video, right? And so obviously security was the primary concern pre-pandemic, but I think those issues were kind of exasperated during the pandemic and you know, when everyone was sort of homeschooling, you know, working from home. And so, and beyond the data security issues, kids were getting Zoom bombed, right? And it happened to my daughter while she was on a Zoom with her swim team. Uh, and, and once also with her school and the swim team one was probably the most uh, atrocious, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even explain what happened. <laughs> I literally stuttered for two weeks about it, but, <laughs> you know, but I think the issue was more so for, you know, players like Zoom learning that once you begin to get to this stuff at scale, you know, security and performance is, is critical, you know, so my work life can you know, consist of my regular work and homeschooling, you know, which also means I was, you know, IT <laughs> as well. So security is huge. And I think, as you guys are saying too, the stuff that the blurred background stuff, you know, that's that's going to stay there. But I think the remote environment for video, you know, is going to be sort of a, a real interesting thing as people begin to look at, okay, how do I begin to outfit my home office and so forth? So we're going to see some uh, furnishings and how do you outfit your home office? Those things sort of carry over uh, post pandemic. And I'll, I'll jump in with, uh, I, I'll echo, I think, what everybody said at this point, certainly with what, uh, what David just said about security has been something we've seen quite a bit in our research, um, what Kevin and Blair talked about and Tim as well. I think the only other area that I think is really going to stick around is uh, organizations investing more in analytics to try and understand how people are using the applications. Uh, again, dealing with some of the burnout uh, issues that, that Kevin mentioned, uh, helping to get insight into are people feeling like, that, you know, are, are meetings still effective? Are, are people struggling with spending too much time on, on video? Are they using their cameras? Uh, and then I think the other area that's really gonna stick around and continue to expand over the next year is the intelligent agents, the, the tools that companies like Otter and Cisco and others have, have brought into the meeting space. BlueJeans is another example uh, that allow you to pull things out like notes and highlights and action items. So if you miss a meeting, you, know, you don't have to go and look at a 19-page transcript or watch an hour-long meeting, which nobody ever does, but you can look at what, what were the highlights, the key takeaways of the things I missed. And as those tools get better, you almost wonder if people start missing more meetings because you know what, I can just catch up real quickly afterwards. So I think those are all going to be areas to watch. Hey, those are those are all fabulous points, guys, and I guess it's 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 really good. And I think I'm going to steal Kevin your concept of the buffet. Although actual buffets have not opened yet, they're they're talking about opening in the U.S. in the next few months. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's 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 definitely a, a good comment. Um, I will also comment on the security thing. You know, having been in this industry for for decades now, um, the 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 weakest security isn't typically the platform; it's typically the users. 
Um, you know, I would in financial services, there were daily calls, you know, to talk about what was going on. And those daily calls went for years without the passcodes changing. So, you know, who knows how many people were on those calls? Um, I think, you know, the, the idea of taking the best practice around, you know, issuing passwords and keeping meeting rooms locked and things, that's definitely going to stay uh, because we, we absolutely need to do it. But let's change, let's change gears for a second. Um, Kevin, I'm going to go to you first on this one, because, you know, I, you and I have had this conversation, you know, uh, um, in a friendly manner on social media for, for years at this point now, I was an incredible skeptic around team chat platforms, whether we're talking about, you know, the, the original uh, Cisco Squared, then Sparked, you know, Unify Square, uh, Microsoft Teams, Cisco WebEx Teams. I've, I've lost track of how many rebrands and renames for all the various things are, and one just got sold. Um, I, I always thought that they were a solution looking for a problem. You know, this idea that you'll cut down on your email because you'll be able to have these uh, these platforms working. And and man, the, the pandemic was definitely the problem that, was, that, that it was seeking out. I don't think we could have survived without using these team chat platforms, um, either for sharing files or just for staying connected with colleagues in different cities and different areas. You know, Kevin, do people continue to rely on these platforms as we, you know, move forward and, and leave the pandemic? Or do we start to back away from them and do more of this stuff in real life or on other platforms? Well, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that Erwin said and I want to highlight is, is analytics. I think analytics have shown us with the team collaboration platforms um, that, if you looked at it, there wasn't the adoption, there wasn't broad-based adoption. So you had pockets of people using them, but really, and, and, and I think that, you know, still um, it's great to hear, David, you and your organization have figured out how to use these effectively, but still for many organizations, because of the lack of training and because people aren't following up and looking who's using it and more importantly, who's not, I still think that, you know, for many people, this is something that they're struggling with. It's another place to look. And so I have to now look in my inbox to see, you know, something. And then when I don't find it there, I got to know how to search the, you know, the team collab platform that I have. And, you know, and this is where then people say, well, we have a couple of team collab platforms. And I, and I think that they're, you know, it's gotten better for some people because necessity is the mother of all invention and they had to figure it out or, you know, um, but I still think there's a lot of work to be done in using these platforms successfully. So if you're not training your people, for God's sake, start now. No, I totally agree. And you know, the the I've I've always said that these platforms work better for smaller teams. So, you know, if you have three, four, five people and then you post something in the room and flag everybody, they'll see it. You know, I'm, I'm running a task force right now for something I'm doing at my organization where we have about 30 members um, and I'm getting contributions uh, on deadlines from like six of them. And that means that a large majority of them just see this as another burden as opposed to a way to work. So, yeah, managing the workflows and teaching are very important. Blair, you had a point you wanted to go on that? Yeah, um, so I, I think, you know, people were using team collaboration before the pandemic. You know, I've been a big, big advocate of it, and I, I think it's, you know, it's been really, really useful. And I, I think it's going to, you know, continue to be really important, and it's going to continue to grow. But, you know, as Kevin said, you know, because we are so focused on user adoption, you know, that that's really, really important because people just don't necessarily know how to use it um, to get the, the best out of it. Um, but I think there's also another issue that's um, holding it back a little, and that's interoperability. Um, just, you know, two days ago, I was on a video call, you know, with some of the people on, on this call, and um, it was basically a group of analysts from different firms, and we, need, we needed to uh, collaborate 
uh, together. So we all wanted to, you know, figure out, okay, you know, what team collaboration app should we use? And we couldn't agree on anything because we all use different ones oh and, my and God, they don't so work true. together. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, should we use this one or that one's like, well, I don't use this one. And so we couldn't come up with anything. So, you know what we settled on? Email. <laughs> so, you know, it, it totally defeats the purpose. Um, so, you know, interop is really the, the big issue. So, um, you know, these team collaboration suites are great, but, you know, there are issues that have to uh, be overcome. You know, we need one app that's going to make it easy for people to, you know, use the, the team collab app of their choice um, and, and still collaborate together. And I know there's a couple of um, companies that do that, but there's still a lot more that really needs to make it better. Um, the one other point I'll make is that it, it's, it's supposed to be an email killer, but we still need email as a backup, you know, especially for notification. You know, just yesterday or, or this the same day, Erwin uh, tried contacting me on one of the collaboration apps and I was it wasn't open. I didn't have it turned on. So I didn't get the, uh, his message and I didn't even get a notification about it. You know, with some, you get an email notification saying, you know, you got a message. With this one, I didn't. So Erwin probably thought, you know, I was blowing him off, which I'm sorry, Erwin, I wasn't. I just, you know, didn't know about the notification. So, you know, we, we still need a lot of work in these areas, but team collaboration, you know, like video, I think is gonna be here to stay for a long time. I, I agree completely. And in fact, when reaching out to you guys to plan this, let's see if I can figure this out for a second. So, so um, uh, Blair, I reached out to you using Facebook Messenger because I know we're Facebook friends. Um, Kevin, I think I, I, I'm, I don't know if I emailed you first or if I did a Twitter DM. Um, Erwin, I know I just texted you. Um, uh, I think, Tim, you were probably um, uh, Facebook Messenger as well. None of this makes my life easier, by the way. Now, I accept that as a as as a tech head as a geek that i now have on any given day at any given time 12 platforms that i got to monitor because a colleague or a customer may reach out to me on any of them but yeah you're right it's the least thing from unified tim you had some points you wanted to make about that yeah it's, it's funny the lowest common denominator is the phone and email um you know <laughs> it's been around for decades i think in perhaps 40 50 years time when I'm in the ground, um, we will have sorted all of this out at some point in time. But yeah, I think um, team collaboration, people are relying on asynchronous modes of working across time zones. So we, we need to remember that. Um, and um, team collaboration gives you a central place for projects and teamwork and companies will consolidate their platforms. I'm, no, I, I, I've, I'm a firm believer that uh, people will start to consolidate their platforms into one or two different UC clients and UCNC clients. They have to, you, you can't have a, a Spotify subscription, a Netflix subscription, an Amazon subscription. Um, enterprises just aren't going to pay for, pay, pay for that. Um, and of course, you know, as we start looking at things like supply chain issues for events such as the pandemic or Brexit and the global chip shortage, um, there's going to be more emphasis on, on joining up that global supply chain, that digital supply chain. So you're going to have partners, suppliers, temporary staff, gig workers. They're all part of an enterprise now. Um, so organizations are going to have to look at this team collaboration guest experience and working more in, in, into more of an integrative fashion. Um, so companies like Walmart or great huge manufacturers or, or those sorts of places where they have to aggregate partners and suppliers and bring them all together. They're going to look to team collaboration to provide a lot of that as, a, as an interface, but the guest experience lets a lot of these solutions down at the moment. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's um it's a situation where I'm collaborating with an outside firm right now, where I can actually use our team chat platform to send messages and go back and forth. But because they're not on our enterprise, or because of whatever the magical mystical reason is this week, I don't really know. I can't share documents with them in that, even though I can do that internally on my team chat platform, and we can edit a shared document. I can't do that with the external guests. So now I all had to make sure that we were editing our documents together in Google Docs because everybody could get that. But I couldn't give them all permission to edit in Google Docs because everybody's got a different Google email address than they do their professional email address. So I had to authorize both their personal email and their professional email to get to the shared document that should have just worked on the team chat platform. Well, you're right. and, I, I, and you're right, that's exactly where it falls down because you need to have an IT administrator to give you all the access rights and then you've got to justify the reason why you want to share this file um, so if it's not, you know, as a user, it just won't happen. We'll all go back to phone or Facebook or WhatsApp or, or email. David, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm funny. I'm laughing here. You guys talk about this because I was uh, I used to cover Lotus Notes back in my early days, and uh, you know, team collaboration interoperability issues have never gone away. Been around for forever, right? <laughs> you know, and, but now we're seeing. I guess in in the current iterations, we're seeing. I guess adding some sort of retro capabilities like IRC like channels and 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 persistence, right? Add the real time component to that with mobility. You know, and so but I think while it's been good for like you know some departmental based use cases and, and small teams, the adoption. Like you're pointing out before, they never lived up, you know, to to the promise. I mean, so obviously, you know, there were, you know, the persistent and the and issues with interoperability. But I think the pandemic, what it did was it sort of um played a big part in sort of pushing people towards using stuff out of necessity. We have to collaborate, so we have to use this thing. So I think it'll stay. But what I think we did with team collaboration. In, in myself covering it for, for years now, we just never did a good job of showing uh, uh, what it was good for its relevance. So we, we never sort of cast it as an outcome-based solution, you know? So we just said, you know, it'll help you collaborate and be productive, go forth now and and collaborate, you know? But I think the next step for relevancy, and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, what we saw at the end of last year with Salesforce and the Slack deal, um, it's how do you sort of recast team, uh, team collaborate? How do you sort of make it extend beyond the walls of the organization. So like you look with the Salesforce thing, with the Slack channels, that was sort of the idea, I think, behind that, right? The ability to sort of use it or use those channels sort of close deals. So now it becomes this revenue generating uh, thing, right? So I think it's going to be about how do you sort of take it out of just, you know, collaborative, you know, be productive. And so how do you actually make it impact a business process? And so that's how I think it'll sort of live on or evolve going forward. Great points, guys and gals. So let's kind of go in a slightly different direction here. Erwin, I want to call on you for a second. You know, let's talk about the office. Let's talk about this wonderful future that hopefully isn't too far away when everybody can, you know, go back to doing whatever they want to do and not go back to doing the things they don't want to do. It, I think the research, I certainly believe that the mission of the office has changed. You know, that uh, that that you, you're going to go in there really when you want to be with the team, not because you have to commute for an hour, hour and a half to get there to do individual work, because we've now all proven that that can be done successfully from home uh, using these various tools that we've been talking about. So how how I believe that's going to change the purpose of the office, that it's going to have more meeting rooms, less desks, more hoteling. Um, and it really brings into the question the concept of the huddle room, because the huddle room was built out of the this idea that people People who were in an open office environment needed a place to go to to to, to be able to uh, have impromptu meetings with colleagues and with vendors that might be showing up. And honestly, those impromptu meetings are now happening over video. 
um, and nobody's showing up impromptu as a vendor because they don't even know if the people are going to be in the office that day, much less whether they'll be allowed to go in because of health protocols. So, so Erwin, what does your research say? What are your opinions about what the nature of the office is going to be, how collaboration rooms will change, how the whole office layout is going to change? Yeah, so it's interesting. We, we conducted research in December and January where we asked uh, the participants what their plans were for their office space. And what we found is uh, slightly more than a third had plans to focus on building the isolated office. So taking large meeting rooms and chopping them up so that people could go in and meet in small groups, um, taking away open office spaces and creating, going back to more cubicles, more separation, uh, sort of betting on the idea that when people come into the office, they're coming into work, not necessarily to meet. Um, and they, you know, they either want to get out of their house. They don't enjoy working at home. They're younger in their careers and they prefer to, to be, have camaraderie with uh, coworkers where they can build mentor relationships and, and so on. Uh, and even the idea that when they were having meetings, they would stay at their desk because, again, who wants to go into a conference room with a bunch of other people wearing masks or whatever? The world has changed, at least in the U.S. significantly. It's obviously hopefully spreading to the rest of the world where now that the vaccine is kind of beaten back the, the virus, it seems like people are more inclined to maybe go back to the way things were before. So I think what you're going to have is, is a mixed environment. You're going to have a, a large group of people who say, you know what, I, I want to be at home. Um, I, I will only go in to meet. I think you're also going to have a significant percentage of folks who prefer to go into the office at least a few days a week because of that ability to, to bond with their coworkers and have informal chats and so on. So what that means for, for office space, I think, is still sort of unknown. I think companies are going to probably wait a little bit and see what happens, who comes back. Uh, there have been some high-profile organizations that said, you know what, we're going to force people back. I don't think that's going to go very well. Uh, but once you see what people are doing when they come back, how they're meeting, then I think you'll decide what happens. So my guess, and, and we're getting ready to research this again now, my guess is that a lot of the, the plans that people had to build the isolated office in the early part of the year are probably undergoing revision right now. Excellent. And, and, yeah. and I th there's a lot of changes like that. Tim, go ahead. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, sorry. What I was going to say, the origins of the modern office go back to London in 1726 when the Admiralty Building was built, and that was to bring together people and processes and centralised control of the Royal Navy. And that's where the origins of the word headquarters come from. We've seen numerous iterations of the office. We've seen the Bureau Landschaft and uh, Eric Props with the Cube and Open Plan. Um, I think what we're going to see now is a move towards activity-based working. So I think a lot of organisations are going to have to give their employees an excuse to go into the office. Um, we're talking about where people do work. We're not talking about how they do work and where, what they do to do their best work. So I think what we're going to see now is organisations thinking, how do we make it attractive for employees to come into the office? And it's not just going to be, you know, better coffee or football tables or, or taco Tuesdays. It's going to be an environment that helps them do their best work that they can't get in their home. Yeah, great point, Tim. I agree. I, I think the huddle room sort of becomes even more important now because, you know, if you have fewer people coming back to the office, you know, that becomes sort of a perfect space, you know, for smaller teams to hold video conferences with remote colleagues or, or even clients. I, I think it looks a, a little different than what we're used to. You know, it can serve as a bridge for for hybrid work. I think how you outfit it, you know, will be will be different. Yeah, I, I think just taking it a little bit um, a different way, 
you know, there's a gentleman, Thomas Pieo, who has a site, Uncharted Territories, and he's been writing all through COVID, the pandemic, and he did a really good analysis about kind of, you know, what is the future of work and moving back. And I, I think the thing that he called out, um, and we haven't at least talked about here is, um, certainly when we work with organizations, there's a big split between people later in their careers, perhaps like all of us, um, and people earlier in their careers. So certainly people earlier, you know, if you live in a, a metropolitan area, uh, you're, you don't know, your condo, your apartment, much smaller, um, you may want to go to the office. You may need to go to the office um, just so you're not in a 600 square foot box. Um, so I think, you know, and, and you may want to go there because you're trying to build your career and meet people. You know, we've all had the opportunity to meet in person. So, you know, we can carry on the relationship um, over video a little more easily. The other thing that he highlights is organizations that are incumbent versus startups. So you're a, you're a financial institution and you've been making billions of dollars. You've got a model. People come into the office, that works for you. I mean, you want people to come back in and do whatever was working and making you billions of dollars before the pandemic. Um, if you're a, a scrappy startup, the fact that people you know, want to work from home and you can, can now compete better for the talent, you're going to be much more interested in fully remote people. And so I think there's been a lot of emphasis on hybrid work, but really there's going to be 10 or 20% of people that are never come into the office. There's going to be a bunch of people that come into the office for different reasons, either to leave their small condo or to socialize if they're later in their career. And then there's going to be a bit, bit of, you know, a bunch of people that Maybe they don't like their spouse or their kids, so they want to work in the office full time. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of experimental stuff going on, you know, the next year or so, because really nobody knows what's going to work and what isn't. Now, I've, I was reading some articles lately about how offices are going to have movable furniture, so you can move chairs and walls around, you know, based on your needs for meetings or individual work. And I, I don't know if I really buy into that. You know, are people really going to just, you know, move a wall to have a meeting or, you know, move a couch? So, so, but, but, but I think the idea is that, you know, flexibility is going to be really, really important. Um, so I, I don't see too many companies right now investing in redesigning their offices, um, especially. Um, you know, as was pointed out, you know, more people are getting vaccinated and, you know, at least in the U.S., you know, things are starting to look better. So are you going to spend a lot of money right now um, to make sure people can socially distance? Um, and then, you know, a year, it's not really going to be necessary. So it, that, that's kind of up in the air. Um, I, I do think that the open office design is going to go away. Um, you know, to Kevin's point, a lot of this has to do with um, generational and age things, uh, you know, most people I know who are over, you know, 45 or even 35, they really don't like that open office concept. So I think we are going to see companies going back to more cubicles, as was mentioned. Um, and, and, you know, as, as we said, you know, when people do go into the office, you know, it might be to collaborate with colleagues. So that, that collaboration space is going to be needed. Um, but I, I think what's really important, and maybe we'll talk about this um, in, in another question, is the whole idea of, you know, what do you do when some people are in the office and some people aren't? You know, so what a lot of companies have been talking about is, you know, inclusivity and, you know, democratizing the meeting room. Um, so I don't know if we're going to be talking about that, but that really is a, a really big concept. You know, what do you do when some people are at home and some people are in the office? Because that's going to be a really, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge going forward. 
Well, yeah, Blair, that's a great point. And I, and I want to go to Tim because I know he had a couple of comments on this, but I, but I, I would point out that, you know, it, we, when, when we were building room floor layouts for corporate America, when I was involved in it for decades, it was always this idea that we're going to have X number of meeting rooms on every floor and Y number of the most small subset of them are going to be equipped for video. And that's simply not going to fly anymore. When you have a lot of people that are going to be remotely connected all the time, combined with the idea that video equipment and collaboration equipment in meeting rooms, the cost and the complexity is dropping very fast. The, 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 the systems are, are less expensive, higher quality, easier to install, smarter. I think we're now at a point where you're going to need to equip every room because there will be at least one or two remote participants in every meeting. So, so Tim, you want to make a couple of points on that and then we'll move forward. Yeah, I was interested in Blair's comments about movable, um, movable and repurposing sort of um, off, office equipment, because that was what Robert Propst came out with his with his um, Action Office 2 product with Herman Miller Corporation that then went on to just become the cube. I mean, he was he was absolutely, I mean, thoroughly disappointed that his concept of moving things about based on your working week would change. And then that just morphed into a cheap way of providing, you know, partitions to put you in this battery farm of a cube. But I, I think what's going to happen is that um, we're seeing commercial real estate, especially around Europe, definitely around uh, London, and the UK, it's being repurposed for residential buildings. I think what we are going to see is more local and provincial satellite offices being set up. And I, for one, would much rather have a meeting with customers or with colleagues in a in a um, coffee shop somewhere in a nice uh, part of uh, where I live, rather than going into London and having to commute just for the sake of a, a meeting. So, I think what it's done is is this pandemic has really recalibrated the relationship we have between the office and home life, and it's questioning where, when, and how we do our best work. Um, and I think. It's going to be really exciting to see what happens. Well, let's now talk about the action items. What what can what advice? What actionable advice can we give to people that are setting up facilities and, and managing technology and dealing with all of these things? You know, what what's changed in the technology? What should they do? What do we need to adapt for? One of the things I know that's that's important to me um, is that you know the, the the technologies that are going into conference rooms and meeting rooms nowadays for video and collaboration are smarter with AI and machine learning. They're easier to use. They're less complicated. They're cheap. They install faster. So in most cases, you know, even if you put in a, a, you know, an integrated room, you know, five years ago, as you're going back to an office now, you may want to consider replacing that with a simple piece of drop-in equipment. And I'm sure there are other changes as well. So Kevin, what are your thoughts? What, 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 what's the actionable advice here? Yeah, that, that's, that's really what it all comes down to. So that's a great question, David. So, so first off, it, it has to be, um, in my opinion, much broader than just the technology discussion. So, you know, you have to get your, you know, human resource function involved along with the, you know, your technology providers, because it's great to have opinions, but you really need to start asking the employees um, through sentiment analysis. So effectively a fancy way of saying you survey them, as well as looking at the analytics that come out of most of these platforms and and quite frankly right now mostly you know go into reports that nobody looks at that's the behavioral analytics side so you need to get hr and look at your different groups and combine that and respect privacy and then use that those analytics as the compass to figure out specifically for your organization what's working so if you're looking at rooms 
you know, as you say, David, the equipment is much smarter. It can do a lot of times people counting and figure out the rooms that aren't being used. Like it's not an opinion. If it's not being used, then obviously it's misconfigured. Um, you know, but then you also have to ask people and track, you know, are they wanting to come into this particular office? Are there enough huddle rooms? And I think that the combination of the smarter equipment and the analytics that come off of that with the, you know, sentiment analysis and surveying your people on an ongoing regular basis, that's going to give, you know, organizations the compass to move in the right direction for them specifically. Yeah, I'll add on to what Kevin said. I think you, you nailed it in terms of getting that employee experience awareness, and, and we're seeing a lot of vendors hopping into that space now, companies like Qualtrics and Limeade and others that are uh, focusing on how do you get the voice of the employee feedback. Um, but I think, it all, you know, from a, a collaboration architecture, I guess, standpoint, when we started Metrogy in January, I, I did, you know, I sort of had to build a, an IT infrastructure and collaboration infrastructure from scratch. And my first thought was I want a core platform, a core place that we do our work. So I started with team collaboration and built out from that. And I think having work within context, um, a, a single place where I can go and find out what's going on with projects and get input from my project and workflow management apps, that I could uh, launch meetings, that I could collaborate around files, uh, that I could even bring external folks into for, for uh, cross-company collaboration. That was our, our mantra that we looked at, and it's worked out you know, fairly well, I think, so far. So start with that, that core team collaboration platform and then build whatever integrations make sense into that to manage workflow. Yeah, great point. I think, you know, for me, to add on to, I think, as sort of everyone's been insinuating, there is definitely going to be more so of a quality of experience thing, you know, more so than the technology going going forward. So I think that that experience piece is going to be critical. That's where then that ties into the whole HR thing and, and employee engagement, you know, because what was good enough last year is not good enough, you know, now, you know, as we talk about remote work. So I definitely think it's going to be sort of a reimagining of the conference room experience and, and the actual overall uh, environment. Yeah, and building, you know, a, a big part of the user experience is actually knowing how the technology works and, and how to use it. Um, so, you know, I always focus on the user adoption part because I think that's so much more important than the technology. If people don't know how to use the technology or even why they're using it, uh, they won't get the value out of it and then companies aren't going to get their return on investment and they're going to get all upset that they spent all this money and people aren't using it. Um, so we, we know that people have been using uh, video for, you know, in their personal lives for the last 18 months, but that is different from what they're going to be using in the office. So, you know, again, you can have the greatest technology, but if people don't know, you know, how to use it, how to use it properly, you know, there are so many different features and capabilities in these technologies. So people end up just using, you know, one or two that they're really comfortable with, and then they don't understand or know about all these other great technologies. You know, they don't know necessarily how to, um, send a conference, um, transfer something over to their, uh, to their mobile. So if they're, you know, uh, if they have to leave in the middle of um, a video conference, so how to make something go from their computer to their mobile. You can do it, but people don't necessarily know how. So I, I think that that whole training and adoption part is, you know, as I said, it, it's more important than, than the technology itself. Oh, I agree. And, and, you know, the idea of putting tools out there that people will actually use um, and providing the training is critical, but we're also at a point where the fact that you have to be trained on a tool means it's probably the wrong tool. 
and 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 I'm not minimizing the adoption plans because I think you know that's critical in terms of getting people to use and understand what's going on. But think about it. You know, if if you guys close your eyes for a second and think about the conference rooms that you walked into um, uh, ten years ago. And, and you needed to do a call. Well, first you have to find where the user control is and you have to turn that on. And Lord knows as a consultant, I called so many companies and connected to calls with pictures of people's knees and a camera aiming at the wall. Then I have to ask them, well, do you have a remote control in the room to aim the camera? Or is there some touch panel that some artist thought that they programmed or, or, or you know, so, so there's that issue, there's a noise issue. The systems that are coming out on the market nowadays don't need to give you that level of training as part of your adoption protocol, because when you turn them on, they say, oh, that's the person talking. I'll make a shot of them. Um, or there are two people talking. Let's do a split screen and let's, you know, let's get an image gallery going of all the people that are having a conversation at any given time. So, so the, the, the technology themselves are starting to become smarter and easier. They know the difference, as you had pointed out earlier, between the person talking and somebody that's outside the room. That, that shouldn't be conveyed in there. So you don't have to hit mute when somebody's typing or crinkling a paper or chewing. They're now, they're getting to the point where they're going to be smart meeting assistants. And and I guess the, the, the question that I'm really asking right now is how much training should we have to provide in an office layout versus how much should the technology itself be smart enough to be providing that equal experience regardless of people were, uh, regardless of people are. Anybody have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I don't think we ever get away from the uh, card in the meeting room that tells you how to start the meeting, you know, or at least tells you you can speak to the to the conference system or, you know, I mean, again, ideally you'd walk into a meeting room and you'd have a tablet or some device sitting there that, or a touch screen that would say, you know, press me to start your, your two o'clock meeting. Um, but, you know, again, I think that, that there's only so much level of intuitiveness. And I think a big problem the companies are really facing now is the rapid rollout of features. We saw uh, Cisco's hybrid work uh, event yesterday where they touted, hey, we've added 800 features in the last, you know, I think year to WebEx. This is a challenge for companies that many of whom we're operating in a mode where we did, you know, twice a year software upgrades and we could announce the features and test them and have a training plan and so on. So I think it's always going to be a continual struggle as new features come out to avoid people feeling overwhelmed and, and helping them understand how to use them. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I just want to emphasize that because while in the perfect, you know, world, you shouldn't need training and the technology should be so smart. I think with this feature overload, like the, you know, as Erwin, as you said, you know, features are coming out so fast. I mean, every time I check, even the tools that I'm familiar with, they move things around and tweak them and they're making them easier. Well, it's not easier when you move the buttons, right? And, and the thing is, is, you know, and I, I dipped into this ongoing uh, survey that Blair and I are working on and looked at some of the preliminary data. And here's the thing. People don't ask end users if they've had enough training, but when you ask the end users, they say no, and they say, uh, you know, a huge majority say, if I had more training, I could be more productive. And I think, so organizations, man, spend, you know, spending a dollar on training is gonna get you some multiple of productivity, so just, do some more training and, you know, stop being the, well, the iPhone doesn't come without a manual, therefore nothing should have a manual. I mean, that's utopia, but we're not going to get there for a real long time. Yeah, Tim, you had a thought on that? Yeah, um, and it's, it's one that I know that we all share is, um, you know, you're on mute. Can you see my screen? Team collaboration, people not at mentioning 
um, people so you don't get don't get notifications. It's infuriating to, to have all of this sort of stuff going on and, and completely unnecessary. Uh, we should be working on that as all, all of our vendors that we uh, speak to should be working on those sorts of things. And Blair, you wanted yep. to throw in a point there. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing about you're on mute. You know, as much training as we get, <laughs> you know, we, we still, you know, there's still always someone in, in any video call, uh, even webinars, you know, where someone's going to be on mute. So as intelligent as uh, these systems are, there's still human error. There's still things that we, we need to do better. The systems can do better, you know, after after maybe, you know, five seconds, there'll be a notification that comes on on some of the systems, you know, um, do you want to turn off mute right now? Because I see that you're talking. So there are ways of doing it, but um, a lot of improvement needs to be done, both in terms of the technology and in terms of uh, the user actually doing things the right way. Or even Blair, even if they had a way of saying, um, using AI on a video feed to say, um, maybe you ought to think about switching on a light source from the front, or maybe you should switch on. All of that technology there is there to sort of, to make sure that we're framed correctly, to make sure that we've got the right lighting, even to do basic sound checking. We could make this as part of the uh, setup process so much smoother. Okay, so so let's let's uh, shift over to taking out those crystal balls that I promised we would all come out with and, and get some predictions going over here about you know what do we expect in 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 the meeting room? What do we expect in the in in the personal? I mean, I think you know just to start the conversation, I'm going to go to Kevin, but just to start the conversation. I think we were about to hit a brick wall in collaboration where where we've been home for you know around 12, 14, even more months, um, where the next meeting invitation comes in, we look at our calendar a minute before the meeting, click on it and we connect and we're now going to go into conference rooms that do not work that way we go into a conference room and and it's like well where's my where's the button where's the click where's the invitation so i think that a lot of the the, the vendors in the space both the platforms the manufacturers are going to have to come up to speed and more of this interoperability uh, in the rooms um uh, to be able to allow it but you know that's just my crystal ball kevin what what are your thoughts on this we'll go around the loop here yeah, no, I, I, I think what you bring up is important because, you know, I think um, to some degree people are like, well, how can we keep the remote people have the, you know, same good experience as the people in the room? And I think it's actually when we get back to rooms, you're going to say, well, wait a second, um, I, if I don't have my laptop, I can't like Google something that somebody said and appear like I understood what it was. And so I, I think as we move back into rooms, um, we're going to figure out and and you know ask of the tools some you know additional capabilities that over the past year we we haven't um you know and 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 i do think though that the the nature of meetings is is probably going to change in the rooms because i i think that they'll become you know more social than they've been and so maybe the the core work happens when we're sitting in front of our laptop because we've gotten good at that. I know I've talked to salespeople that say that they actually have had their best quarters and their best years, even in this difficult time, because they can make more calls. Because, you know, to your point, David, like not only like we have back-to-back -back meetings, well, before you had to physically move from room to room, you know, now salespeople can make more calls. They can keep all their notes. They can, you know, remember everything because they bring up on another screen, you know, the notes of the last call. So I, I, I think we're going to, 
um, change the nature of meetings. And as part of that, you know, the equipment and the technology in the rooms is, is going to change as we sort through this, but there's still a lot to be sorted through. Yeah, David, you had a comment there as well? Yeah, and I, think, I, I agree. I think so. Obviously, in terms of what's, what's coming, video, you know, is definitely going to be here to stay, right? <laughs> as we were talking about. But I think even further out, we're probably going to see some, you know, redesign, you know, workspaces. I think we're at a post-pandemic. Measures will probably start yielding some new public health requirements. I know we're all getting vaccinated, but I think we're going to have to see some infrastructure uh, changes. So it may not be far fetched you know, to see, you know, maybe workplace wearables and automated, you know, automated sensors to sort of analyze and track people movement and traffic, sort of you know, prevent overcapacity as people try to sort of, you know, uh, come back slowly to the office, sanitation uh, technologies and, and touchless devices or or what have you. But I think to, to do that, we will definitely see some sort of overall complete infrastructure overall to be able to sort of integrate all this via APIs and what have you. So I think it, a, a deeper level of connectivity will be needed in cloud-based access as we try to tie all this stuff into HR systems of records and, and what have you. Blair, what yeah, were your I, thoughts? I, what do you think is going on? I'm sorry, go ahead, continue. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything um, David just said. I, I think a lot of what we're going to be seeing, you know, at least in the next year or two is going to be more optimizing what we're using now because um, we don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work when we're back in the office. You know, a lot of the companies are coming out with things to, um, you know, like scheduling um, room cleanings, you know, for the meeting rooms and, um, you know, some of the special things that um, David was just talking about. Are, are we going to need that in two years? You know, I, I don't know. So I, I think we're, we're going to be doing a lot of experimentation. Uh, I, I think another thing we are definitely going to be seeing is more AI. You know, AI has really done a great job with uh, meetings and collaborations, you know, note-taking, transcription, translation. Uh, so I, I think we're going to see more and more uses of AI and, uh, you know, virtual agents and, um, uh, virtual assistance and transcription, that, that's going to really be key. Um, a little longer term, we're going to start seeing, you know, AR and VR for meetings. You know, I know Microsoft talked about it, and uh, there's a couple of companies that um, I, I've spoken with that have some, they're more cutesy than real practical, um, but I do think they're going to go from, you know, hey, isn't this, you know, kind of neat to actually being very practical. Um, another thing, you know, what, which I talked about earlier is the need for interop. Um, so it, it's still a, a challenge to use uh, different applications for meetings, video and collaboration. Um, so I, I think we're going to see, well, hopefully we're, we're going to see um, some technologies that can really um, address that. Because if, if you're on one platform and I'm on another, it doesn't work as well as it should. And, and that's just, you know, not right. Um, then the real crystal ball, um, I think when it comes to um, events and things and um, uh, dispersed and geographically distributed teams, we need that virtual happy hour. You know, there's st still no substitute for in-person meetings and networking and socializing. So I'd love to see ways to make remote interactions, you know, feel more personal uh, personal, and enable some of the personalization that uh, remote meetings are missing. So I don't know how that's going to happen, but um, I, hopefully someone's going to come up with a way to really make things more personal when we're distributed. 
Blair, I agree with everything you said except for the AR and VR. I think that those are always going to continue to be uh, niche devices that work very well in niche applications. But as far as a, a widespread market is concerned, if the, if you couldn't make that be successful during this pandemic, then it's going to be it's going to go the way of the 3D TVs. I just don't think that uh, that it's going to it missed its exit and it's not going to have a widespread market in my opinion. But everything else, I think you, you said is dead on. Tim, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think. Um... We, we've, we experimented and proved that remote working works. I think we're now going to experiment and come up with all sorts of new ideas for the office. Um, we're seeing a lot of evidence of companies closing down their offices. As I said previously, I think we're going to have to reinvent um, the purpose of the office and the reason why we need to go into the office, especially because they're really expensive. There's lots of people questioning the amount of money they spend on, on an office and thinking with the increasing um, cleaning regimes and utilization of the office and having to work out who comes in on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or which three days is this team going to come in? I think it's going to be a, a nightmare that a lot of people will just turn around and say, oh, for goodness sake, sort it out yourselves, work from home or come in the office, be, be one or the other. I also wonder whether or not huddle rooms will actually go away. Because as we were talking, I was sort of thinking of the times where I have been in an office and had to pick up my laptop take it into a meeting room because I'm typing up notes or I need to refer to a piece of information. With, with the background noise suppression and virtual backgrounds, wouldn't I just want to stay at my desk rather than going and decamping and moving to another part of the office to have a less of an experience around a huddle room with three of my colleagues sat next to me? I don't know. I wonder whether or not the technology is there with virtual backgrounds and noise suppression where I just say, no, I'm happy at my desk. Unless you can provide me with something beneficial in the huddle room, um, what's the point of me decamping and moving across the office? Yeah, no, I, th I think there's, is a, there's a real chance that a large number of huddle room meetings are now going to simply be video calls. Um, with with ideal technology, with noise cancellation, with virtual backgrounds, with the rest of it, uh, I really think you're right there. I think that uh, the, that the point of it to help facilitate in open offices that we are all agreeing are going to kind of sort of go away are uh, are uh, not. Uh, not necessarily going to be there for the future. So it's really, it's a good to think about. Erwin, I, oh, I'm sorry, Timmy, one last thought, and then let's let no, I, was gonna, I was just sort of thinking, maybe we'll see Starbucks and coffee shops um, providing their own meeting rooms because they get better coffee in there usually than you do in the office. Well, the, the ideal future, and this is what I know my company's working on, although I'm not wearing my company's hat right now, I'm wearing a shirt, but, but the, uh, the ideal future is it doesn't matter where you are. The meeting will take place and you will be part of the meeting. And if you're at an airport or if you're at home or if you're watching us uh, 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 waiting for your to pick up your child in front of a classroom or if you're in the conference room, you should be able to share content, see content, speak, be heard. And we're never again going to be able to live with that idea that the person that's hosting the meeting in the room goes, OK, everybody in the room, be quiet. Wait, wait. We didn't let the people on the other end have a chance to talk. If they can't jump in and contribute equally in the conversation, then, then, it's, a, then it's a failure. We're going to have to get that level of equality. So anyway, uh, let me give you the last word, Tim. Go ahead. What, 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 uh, Tim? Excuse me, uh, Irwin. What are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, on where this is coming from, and, uh, and what you see going on in the future? Yeah, I mean, all great points made by everyone else. So let me just add a couple in. I think the, the biggest takeaway from the pandemic is videos here. We've been talking for decades uh, that video is, you know, the future of collaboration. I think we've all proven that not only is it uh, does it work, but it's now necessary going forward. I don't expect we'll ever go back to the, the days of audio conferencing. Uh, I think we'll see meetings further integrated into workflows. So 
you know, the meeting becomes part of, of a workflow, uh, the results of the meeting, the transcripts, the, the discussions, the action items all get pushed into a, a team collaboration channel afterwards. I think companies are going to really focus on interoperability. The idea should be that I could walk into any meeting room, start a Zoom meeting, a Google Meet meeting, a Microsoft Teams meeting, a WebEx meeting, whatever, uh, without making it hard on my users or saying, you know what, we're only teams, and if you want to use anything else, you've got to plug a laptop in. Uh, I think we got to get away from that. Um, and I think, you know, going back to some of the discussions we had earlier around analytics, have to really, uh, companies really need to get insight into how their, their applications and systems are being used. I think you'll see a focus on that, certainly a focus on security, as David talked about. And then lastly, I think, you know, one technology we didn't really talk about so far has been the uh, ideation virtual whiteboard space. We're starting to see an explosion in adoption of those applications because these meetings are great for talking and chatting and, and, and maybe sharing a, a PowerPoint, but if we want to build something and work on something together, we need an additional capability that allows us to have this canvas that we can pull in ideas, that we can vote on what we like, that we can build a journey from uh, initial concept and phase to final product delivery. So I think that those applications are going to become a core part of a collaboration workflow going forward. Wow, that's some really amazing things to think about as we go into this future, and uh, and and hopefully unified communications will continue to grow and keep us all employed, um, and and our, with our expert opinions going forward. So uh, uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to. So let me go through everybody once again and see if we can figure out how we can reach them. If anybody wants to get in touch, David, if somebody wants to reach out to you, how would they get a hold of you? Sure, I am Dave Mario on Twitter, or you can reach me on LinkedIn at Dave Smith, uh, and Dave at InfoAnalysis via email as well. Thanks, David. Dave, thanks very much for being here. We appreciate it. Blair, how would somebody reach out to you? Uh, my email address is bpleasant at comfusion.com, and I'm on Twitter as Blair Plez, so that's B-L-A-I-R-P-L-E-Z, and I'm on LinkedIn and pretty much everything except for Instagram, I think. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, Kevin, how would somebody get a hold of you? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Kay Keeler. The last name is K-I-E-L-L-E-R. And I'm also kkeeler at enableuc.com is my email. Thank you very much. And everybody's got their name showing up on the screen. So if anything else, you can, if nothing, everything else fails, you can always just Google the names and find everybody. Tim, how does somebody get a hold of you and reach out to you if they want more information from you? Sure, David. Probably best through Twitter, uh, T Banting. Excellent. And Erwin, last but not least, uh, how does somebody get a hold of you and the team at Metrogy? Yeah, uh, easiest way is also on Twitter at I-M-L-A-Z-A-R. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Listen, we really appreciate having you all on the show today, and uh, hopefully we will be reaching out to you guys soon um, uh, to follow up and find out if our, our, our ideas came true and if we're in a good place. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you on the next Aviation TV Connect. Bye.